You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. You're listening to Flaunt Your Fire. I'm your host, India Jackson, and today I'm recording on the stolen land of my brother's ancestors, the Piscataway people. This land is also known as the state of Maryland, United States of America. I'm excited for this episode because I'm going to be talking with co-founder of Pause on the Play, Erica Corday, about one of my favorite things. There's a lot that's going to come up in this episode. So I have a bit of a confession. I am a bookworm. Even when I think back to 10-year-old India, one of my favorite things was to take the summer break and just get my hands in some books. So everyone else was playing outside or going to theme parks and things like that. I was reading. And unlike, you know, the traditional fiction and babysitter's club is kind of what comes to mind for me back in those days, I was grabbing nonfiction, people's real stories, things that got you to think differently. I know I'm a bit of a nerd. If younger 10-year-old India could witness me today, they would say that not much has changed in the fact that I love books, which is part of why this episode is coming to you today. But yet quite a lot has changed in how I think about books. So is it just me or have you noticed a lot of changes happening with some of the bigger brands that are around us? I'm talking brands like Amazon. I know we don't really talk about Amazon much here because we really like to think about shopping small and voting with our dollars, but I can no longer like ignore so many shifts that they've had, you know, over the last year or so. And one of those shifts has been that they have really reduced their influencer commissions. So they're no longer paying influencers the same percentage per sale as they used to. And I mean, this is huge because so many influencers or even like podcasts were making a percentage of their revenue off of people buying the same mic that they had if they wanted to look at their equipment list. Photographers were doing the same with their gear kit um, as they would mentor new photographers to the industry and they would buy equipment. And influencers doing the same with fashion or what's in their home. And in addition to decreasing their influencer commissions, they have also closed a program that really uh, just like shook me to my core and still has me feeling 
very conflicted about the fact that they did this, and it's called Amazon Smile. Amazon Smile is something that has been so, so important to me. Um, as much as I try to shop small, you know, even in my college days, um, I was having to buy textbooks that would be really difficult to find in like a Target or something like that. And so oftentimes I found myself buying specific books um, like textbooks or required reading for university on Amazon. And one of the ways that I'm going to be honest, I justified giving Amazon my money was that I was using something called Amazon Smile to purchase it. And if you're unfamiliar with that, I'll just give you a brief synopsis that it allowed you to decide a charity, and you could change the charity at any time if you chose, that every purchase that you made from Amazon, whether it be a textbook, whether it be, I don't know, some toothpaste, (laughs) would go a percentage of your purchase. And I believe it was around 10% would go to this charity. Now, Amazon just got rid of Amazon Smile kind of out of nowhere. I mean, there wasn't a long time frame of notice about it. Um, I have personally used Amazon Smile to contribute to some of my favorite charities, and as well as supporting some of the charities that members of the Pause and the Play community own, such as LCMD Research Foundation. And When this went away, I said to myself, wow, like what is going to happen to the revenue that was coming in for a lot of these nonprofits? Um, Their statement right now is really like basic. I mean, it's saying thank you for your support over the last decade. We appreciate your help in donating more than $450 million across hundreds and thousands of charities worldwide. But moving forward, we're excited to focus on other philanthropic initiatives. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I can't change what Amazon has done, but it has definitely had me thinking about books will no longer come from Amazon and one thing at a time will be coming from somewhere else. So brace yourself. That will be a part of our conversation here is other places to spend your money because every time we spend our money to buy something, whether it is a dollar or a thousand dollars, we are voting for what stays open. Now I'll be transparent. One way that I've spent my money for a long time has been bookshop.org. When the books that I've needed have been available at bookshop.org from the time that I found out about it, I have gone over there and have purchased my books there because when your purchase is there, a percentage of every sale goes to your local small business-owned bookstore. Um, For me right here in the Washington, D.C. area, that's Mahogany Books that I often select as my sales to go towards. Um, But also, Philly is not too far away, and there's an incredible bookstore there that I've had the pleasure of shopping with in person called Uncle Bobby's Books. And I know that I'm supporting both of these bookstores when I purchase through bookshop.org. So in this episode, Eric and I, we're going to be talking about some of our favorite books. And I know that if you're anything like me, if you love reading, then you may be thinking about what books you might want to add to your shelf um, to be able to spend some of your summer break with or your winter holiday with. And so hopefully this episode can get you thinking about some books that either A, you may not have been aware of, or B, are by a diverse range of authors and their identities and lived experience to get you thinking about things differently. 
So I encourage you as you are listening to this episode or reading the article that goes with it, um, that if any of these books pique your interest and you're interested in purchasing them, and if supporting your local businesses and small bookstores, period, is important to you, and that's a way that you want to vote with your dollars, head on over to pauseintheplay.com slash books to A, be able to find the exact books we're talking about, and B, be able to purchase them in a way that they're supporting small bookstores. Because I don't know about you, but I want to see these bookstores stay open. I love going to small bookstores and being able to spend some time in there, have meetings there, and just have the peace and the ambiance that bookstores can provide. It's such a whole mood. (laughs) I'm excited to get this episode on the road, so let's get it started. I'm glad you're here with me today to talk about books. I feel pretty nerdy, but here we are. (laughs) I mean, the funny part about it is, is when I think about um, kind of my reading history as a whole, I remember being like, you know, an an adolescent, young adult, teenager, you know, anywhere in there. And I mean, I've always enjoyed reading and I think I probably was a nerd and was just maybe afraid of it because of the connotation of nerds ain't safe back in the day. Like it wasn't safe, but like, I always loved to read. I remember sometimes finishing 300 plus page books in a night. Like I just have always just enjoyed reading. Mm, Yeah, I definitely was a nerd. (laughs) There's no lie detected (laughs) on that one. Glasses included. Same. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I love learning. I think for me, it was more about the learning and less about like I have to learn through a book. Um, though books were one way that I did that. I like the stories of it. I used to enjoy the literal storytelling of it. And I liked part of it sometimes can be escapism. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm much more aware of as an adult is that I like to read something that maybe seems completely unrelated and to draw the parallels. I love being able to tease out the things of like, this is a great way to kind of uh, explain or display what's happening in life as opposed to trying to make it work in the tangible. This is what's happening in life and people are like, I don't get it. You relate it back to a, you know, a story and they're like, oh, I get it. And it's like, yeah, that's what I was trying to tell you. So There's a piece of that that I like, and it has been really helpful for me when it comes to processing things or even just the kind of processing of myself. Yeah. I wonder um, when you mentioned like stories and things like that, if there's any stories that you've read that have really surprised you or grabbed your attention in some kind of way. I think one of the ones that I've read forever ago. Um, and it's just become a regular like book for me to have to take in at least once a year. And people, you know, when they're like, oh, you know, what are you reading or what do you recommend? It's like the first thing out of my mouth all the time. Um, and it's The Alchemist. And it's just a book. It's a it's a story. But the book just, I don't know, like something about the way that Paulo Coelho just crafted this story it just it just really hit me and it was one that I just put off for a long time like man I mean I'm all right I'm gonna read it I'm gonna read it I'm gonna read it and when I did I was like 
holy shit, why did I wait so long? <laughs> this book is amazing. Yeah. It's just such a good book. And there's, I feel like it's one of those that every single time, um, you know, I take it in again, there's something else that I noticed that I didn't before, something else that I learned or that like, oh, that part. And that to me is always, you know, kind of a sign of a great book. Speaking of signs, the book is all about like omens and signs and things, which anybody that asks me about this book, no matter what I say about it, it's not probably what it sounds like. You no, have you to just, just have read, to read it. it. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, I definitely want to pause and give a shout out to Juan Fadley of New Ajay Visions and media group and photography business here in the Baltimore area. He introduced me to that book many, 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 many years ago. I mean, I think I was like 21 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, I'm not, in my mind, I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm the student who's already reading all the books in college. Right. And it's like, I got zero capacity to read anything else. Mm-hmm. I am barely getting my art history reading done. Um, and so I just kept pushing it off. And I think you and I finally read it around the same time. And I literally had to call him and be like, thank you. Why did I wait so long? That part, that part, because it was, I mean, I, I had, I had just, I just didn't know. And I love the fact that it feels like it doesn't matter where you are in your life. Uh, It doesn't matter, you know, age or just circumstance. Like it feels like such a universal book as well. And I don't find that that always happens. So that was another thing that, you know, was super pronounced to me. And like, there's no one that I feel like this book isn't one that I would, I would refer. Yeah. Um, For me, when I think about stories, oh, there's a few that come to mind. I mean, there's so many to pick from, Um, but surprising and the most interesting way, like made me feel a way that I've never actually felt previously to to taking in this story, um, I would have to say is from a book on your book list and shelf, but we both actually own this book, Conduit. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my gosh. And yeah, like there's this, the book is full of stories. And yet there is one that you follow and you think it's about the silly, like funny situation. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it just, I'm trying not to spoil it, but it takes you into a whole nother direction than you thought that this story was about. Right. And it was one of those moments that as a woman of color, and the story is about a man of color, I don't know. I just left me in the place of like an awe, an awe at the craft and skill of the author and his storytelling like capabilities to take you on this emotional journey, but also in awe of the ability to hold space for something being hilarious and also incredibly painful at the same time. So the interesting thing is, is I, I want to acknowledge that like John Good is like, I, there's, I don't even know the word for it, but his storytelling and the capabilities that he has to just fully enrapture you with whatever he's writing and whatever the emotions are that he's embedding in it. Oh my gosh. And 
I mean, he's he's just he's amazing. And I, I was introduced to him years ago by actually a longtime friend of mine who went to school with him. Um, and, you know, he's been on the podcast. And I mean, every time that I've talked with him, like he's just I am truly just like in in awe of his writing. And when I read this book, the interesting thing is, is like, you will literally have these points where you're like, this is absolutely hilarious. And then you're like, oh, and now we're talking about the things and I feel it. I feel it. Like he, he's just, woo, the way that, the way that he writes, I'm going to tell you, like as, as someone that writes poetry, this is someone that I absolutely like look up to. And it's very rare that I have people like that. And so that for me, like someone that I feel like their talent impacts me like that. John is absolutely one of them. And John's just an incredibly interesting person. Um, We've had him on both the Flaunt Your Fire podcast in the past, as well as Pause in the Play. He's a great conversationalist. He's fun to talk to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And (laughs) buying that book just took me on so many journeys, so many stories. Absolutely. And left me in places that I just didn't expect. (laughs) Same, same. So if you had to pick a book that you feel like (laughs) nobody would expect that you read this book, if somebody was like, you think India read this book? They'd be like, "Mm, I don't think so. What would that be? Because I actually, you know, feel like people might have expectations of what they think we read. And Ooh. that may or may not be true. And I I always like when it's like, yeah, actually I read this. <laughs> you know what I think might be more interesting if you can humor me for a second? Yeah. What? What you got? We didn't plan this for those of you ch- checking out this episode. Um, <laughs> so we might need to literally give Erica a second. But go look at my list. I want you to tell me what you were surprised Ooh. about being there. Okay, I have my own biases. It's me. I know me. <laughs> mm, and see. I'm going to do the same. Go look. So what I'm going to say is I don't technically look at this and feel surprised. Partially because I probably know you way too well. <laughs> so you are very um, dynamic and layered. And so because you're not unilateral, I'm actually not surprised at the variety that is showing up here. What I can acknowledge is a book that um, I think there was a point in your life to where life was just lifing and doing its thing. And I don't know if I would have thought that, you know, X, Y, Z amount of years later, this would have been the book that like, oh. You read this, willingly read it, and like prioritized it, like popped it up on your reading list and pushed some other books to the side. And that was actually How to Kill a City. Because mm, yes. your like um activism and like I like that part of you has become so central to who you are and how you interact in the spaces that you live and buy and interact and exist and in and, and commune um, in a way that like, it's very different 
from what it used to be. Yeah. Uh, and I love just giving, you know, credit where credit is due. I love that we have such a wonderful network and we're always introducing each other to books inside the community and the community that we have outside of our Posma Play community. Um, and so a hat tip to our friends at Mango Marketing for mentioning How to Kill a Silly as a book that they thought I would find interesting. Yes. And Nat was like, read this book. And I'm like, oh, all right. I'm going to be angry when I read it. <laughs> but yeah. I'm going to read it. Yeah, I'm going to pull my, I'm going to roll my sleeves up and dig in. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about gentrification, you know, and I mean, that's just being as straightforward as it can be. Um, there are so many things in there that surprised me. Um, there are so many things that angered me. Um, it's one thing to feel like you live next to a major metropolitan city that is constantly going through ebbs and flow of gentrification, Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. um, and witnessing things literally happening like Section 8 housing being torn down um, and being replaced with government buildings and million-dollar condos. Um witnessing $600, $800 a month apartments being gutted out and replaced with condos that no one in the neighborhood that's from there can afford. Mm -hmm. It is another to hit some of the things that are so subtle in mindset. Um, you and I were talking about it the other day, and I, I don't mind sharing on the show, but I have this book to thank for the fact that I realized moving into my neighborhood, um, which is still a majority you know, neighborhood that is black people. I'm black. So we have that commonality. But these people have been here, many of them, since the neighborhood was built in the 1980s. Um, and realizing like, I'm questioning, why did they replace the, the sign at the front of the neighborhood with the sign that looked exactly like it? Really 80s style, dated, the colors are like subdued. It just doesn't match, you know, where the neighborhood is going as far as um, the renovations I've witnessed some of the neighbors doing to their homes or the color palettes or just the times. I mean, it's 2023. And then this book made me even acknowledge, wow, that mindset is how we get to the massive harm done in gentrification because you're putting the new people's preference right? Me being the younger person in their 30s and what I like as the priority without considering what my neighbors who are mostly between 60 and 80 like. And they were here first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so many layers to how this book breaks down, um, what's happening, what you think is happening, but then like it's not just the first wave of the new people coming into the neighborhoods. Eventually, those people, like the artists and the creators, get boxed out and priced out. And then it becomes a next wave of people at a higher price point and so on and so on. And it's just never ending. Right. And so, again, I, I don't think there's anything that I am like, oh, she didn't read that or she wouldn't read that. But if you had asked me you know, years before COVID, hey, this book is going to come out in blah, blah, blah amount of time. You think, you know, India might want this? I'd be like, mm, I don't know. 
and you honest, would not have suggested that book to me. No. And, <laughs> and I'll be honest, part of it would have probably been the fact that one, at that point, life was much busier. So there was less time um, purposefully carved out for reading. But also, um, you're very, 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 how many varies can I say here? Much a minimalist. <laughs> And so at that point, I would have been like, she ain't gonna have no books in her house. She ain't got no, she ain't gonna put no books. She would rather have it empty than to have books in her house. Yes. So there's that. <laughs> well, we both know that minimalism journey. When you partner with someone and you combine households, <laughs> it's a whole different journey. It shifts a little bit. Speaking of that, the book that I would be surprised about Mm -hmm. Um, years ago, or I would think others may be surprised about. Okay. Given if they've ever seen you on video and a Zoom call (laughs) and noticed the beautiful shelf behind you with all the intricately chosen pieces of crystals and meaningful items, (laughs) it would be the Afro-Minimalist Guide to Living with Less. Now, I know that's not on your official list yet that we have that we're going to make available all of you. We'll we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But I know that you read it. (laughs) I know that you own the book. The the book is in one of my pretty piles of books next to my nightstand. It is. (laughs) And hold on, hold on. We're talking about the Afro minimalist guide to living with less. And you said it's in a pretty pile. It is. (laughs) It is. Well, and I'll be, here's the thing. So again, always love books. And I, you know, had a ton of books in this huge bookshelf. And then when I got pregnant with uh, my oldest, I had to make room for him to have a room. So I had to downsize and let go of a lot of my books and it broke my heart. But I had to let them go. So um, I just didn't have as many books. And so for a very long time, I was not purchasing and keeping books and over I'd say maybe the past two years or so I've actually been kind of shifting that and so I don't keep I don't like go and buy and keep every book in the same way that I used to I and part of it is because yes it is pricey but also um I utilize the resources that I have in going to the library and it's also something that I you know want to instill that in the kids so we actually go to the library um but there are sometimes books that I will purchase because I do want to keep them. Um, and the Afro Minimalist happened to be one of them. And I absolutely would never have used the word minimalist about myself for a long time, um, particularly because I was someone that grew up with people around me that were uh, beyond maximalist, but I'm not going to call them hoarders. I'm going to say that they 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 kept things. Um, and they had a lot. And so um, it the biggest piece for me is really the intentionality of what I have and why. Um, I value, quote unquote, white space in what I have around me. Um, and I really do think about how things are best served and how it is that I want to keep items around me and how it is that maybe these things are going to be passed on or passed down using the example from the book of the um, ancestral Bible. 
you know, I want to have things that feel like they can have a connection that will be passed on to someone else and that they're able to receive this knowledge or this learning or this um, energy that came from me. So it's really the, the fact that that level of thoughtfulness and purposeful, um, you know, buying and keeping and curating, that's where a lot of that really shows up for me. Yeah, uh, as someone who's also read the book, I really appreciate how, and someone who is identified as being closer to what most people would call minimalism than most um, for a long time. I mean, probably since around when we met Erica. Um, right. And for reference, that was like 2008, I think. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I could. <laughs> and, and now I would consider myself minimal-ish. Yeah. <laughs> because of, you know, kind of that influence and some of the things that I have learned from you. Yeah. But I mean, even digging down like so much so many things that are out there and books that are out there about minimalism and living with less and magic of tidying up and you name it. There's so many books and I've read most of them. Um, what I love about the Afro minimalist is it's completely different than them. It's actually getting down to your values. It's asking you to figure out what does being intentional, like we're going to be honest, they're like Christine Platt is framing minimalism as intentionalism to a degree. Um, and what does that mean to you? Like, what are your intentions? What is important to you? Because the bare white walls and clear surfaces and everything in neutral colors might not feel like your true authenticity or your preference. It might not honor your familial journey or your ancestors or what you like. And so you have to figure out what is that being intentional for you. And it may look completely different than someone else from a different background or different preferences. Absolutely. And I think that that part is where for years, that concept of minimalism and what was widely broadcasted, I was just like, that's sterile. I don't want that. <laughs> and that was where I struggled with it. And so to have something presented that allowed you to still keep what feels like slices of your um, cultural identity, whether it's because it was passed down or chosen by you, that feels so much more in alignment, which is where like this book was just, you know, like, thank you for creating something that allowed those of us that aren't regularly reflected in an industry called minimalism to know that we can still be minimalist and or minimal uh, minimalism adjacent and be able to do it in a way that we don't have to leave who and how we are behind. Mm, you said that so beautifully. Yeah. So I don't know. I wonder if there are any other thoughts that you're having as we wrap up this episode about some of the books that have really touched us or changed us or grabbed our attention. <laughs> the interesting thing is I think that I can always talk about books and I feel like this could be, you know, such an ongoing conversation because there's, you know, the book that I am, you know, reading or touched by now, there's, you know, books that 
you know, touched me as a kid that have never gone away. They're the books that, you know, always anchor me and that I always go back to no matter, you know, when, where, why, or how. But the fact of the matter is, is that books have just really become a way of connecting with other people, with uh, being able to actually bring words and some type of uh, understanding and, and, and analogies and things to uh, what maybe I couldn't have done on my own. And it's it's just such a, a beautiful tool. And it's a moment in time that's captured for you to revisit whenever it is that you want or need it. And that's such a powerful thing for pages with ink on them that, you know, you're able to access in that way to be able to to just have so much of an impact. Like I, I just feel like, you know, the learning, the connection, the evolution, the, you know, reconsideration that comes from it. I just think books are just such powerful tools. Mm. Thank you so much for being here. Anytime. I just love every opportunity that I have to be able to chat with Erica Corday in a way that you get to witness. Um, Erica and I have been friends since at least 2009. And it's interesting because most people that know both of us um, really, really intimately know that we are very different people. But to the public, we can seem quite similar. And so I know that you probably enjoyed this discussion that we had. Um, and I'm going to encourage you again to head on over to pauseintheplay.com slash books, where you can check out our bookshelves. Um, we're constantly adding new books there that we've read and think are amazing um, and are changing the way that we think and do things and process things. And some of them we just really like, you know, they're great stories as well, because that's a great opportunity to read too. <laughs> and so from everything of you know, books about where your food comes from and food justice to being an artpreneur to being able to think about how you gather people together and host them differently to poetry books. We have an entire broad range and you get to witness Erica's bookshelf and my bookshelf over at pauseintheplay.com slash books. I can't wait to find out what books you're reading and which ones you've enjoyed the most that we have on our list. So definitely keep in touch and let us know. You can always find us over at Instagram at pause on the play and just shoot us a DM or a screen grab in your stories about the books that you're reading. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?